This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, we interrupt the war of words between Jimmy Kimmel, Arizona State alum. We'll get to that in a minute. Alum? I don't and, think he's an alum. And Aaron Rodgers. I, I think he attended some classes. Really? We also interrupt all the griping in America over the Kansas City-Miami playoff game on Peacock, including a Chiefs player himself. We'll get to that. We uh, interrupt Danny. You'll be intrigued to know the ascent of crypto once again, the tanking of Boeing stock, and the Arctic Arizona temperatures that have been going on this week. Uh, show of hands, uh, who drove to work when it was 30-something degrees, right? I mean, you know, just the men. I, I was ready to take a uh, mental health day just based on the temperatures this morning walking out the front door. But no, we're here. We persevered. This is the very first off-season 2024 edition of Cardinals Underground, Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, and Danny Sarek. I haven't heard crypto in a long, long time, which means it's time for me yeah. to make some updated bingo cards and mm. bring those back out. Mm. Okay. Uh, so Arizona State was trending on Twitter. Uh, let's see. Show of hands, who's an alum? Uh, Darren, I actually have a degree from ASU, so here we go. Wait, 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 what? Yeah. Master's degree from ASU. You never said this before. Well, because I It's never. always Cal this and Cal that. I was going to say, so we've got no. our own ASU and Cal battle right yeah, here? I, I know. Well, Who needs Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Cal battles and nothing, okay, at least athletically. So, uh, But the ASU was trending, and I'm looking for it right here. Here we go. It was a Aaron Rodgers retort to Jimmy Kimmel after Jimmy Kimmel went scorched earth on Aaron Rodgers, and he said, hey, I think it's impressive uh, that a man who went to Arizona State and has 10 joke writers can read off a prompter. That was the rip job from Aaron Rodgers. Was he talking about Jimmy or Darren? (laughs) Darren, what are you reading off there? I always accuse Wolf of reading off the prompter. The producer, you know, puts down all – Jim Omohundra really writes all of Wolf's content on the air. Are you talking about my computer right here? Yeah. Darren stays ready so he doesn't have to get ready. There are are always – while we're recording, there always tends to be – not always, but sometimes there tends to be news that's going to be coming down the pike. So I just have to be ready to – He's engaged. He's multitasking. He's multitasking. He stays in real time. So there you go. Uh, By the way, um, the Chiefs player, defensive end Charles – Amenahu, mm-hmm. he said about is what he tweeted out. Us playing on Peacock really is insane. I won't lie. <laughs> so there are two kinds of people in this world: those who get Peacock, the streaming network, for Saturday night playoff game, and those who do not. I saw a joke that said, "Props to Roger Goodell for getting all the Swifties to pay for Peacock for one <laughs> yes, game yes. to see Taylor Swift's boyfriend." That is the conspiracy theory that NBC purposely targeted that game. Because there are two audiences, football and Taylor Swift. And so, uh, yeah, you got to maximize your investment in that one. I'm guessing a lot of sports bars and restaurants will uh, get a lot of business on Saturday night. People flocking to go out and grab something to eat and watch the playoff game, the Chiefs and Dolphins. You're, you're assuming those places are paying for Peacock. Yeah, maybe. By the way, did you see this? The NFL just had a 
banner year. Bigger than crypto, Danny. You realize that live sports were among the top 100 watch telecasts in the country in 2003. In fact, NFL games, it's the most NFL games to ever crack the top 100. NFL games took 93 of the top 100 most watched programs in 2023. The biggest year ever was last year, 2022, when they had 82. And then Sports Business Journal reported of just sporting events viewed in the nation last year, the 56 most watched sporting events were all NFL games. How is that different than like last year or the year before? Well, there were 82 out of the top 100 last year. This year, 93 of the top 100 are NFL games. So even bigger and better than last year in terms of viewership of the NFL. There are that many games that were that intriguing? Well, and it's also, I mean, let's face it, it also has to do with the splintering of how everybody watches stuff too. That's part of it. Yeah. Well, it's, Because nobody watches live TV other than sporting events right. anymore. Yeah. That's it, fair. In fact, the, I think the only, the only other event that was even in the top 100 it was a live event. It had nothing to do with uh, sports, and I forget exactly what it was, but it was going on Oh, there live. was a State of the Union was that in there. It might have been it. Yeah. But even NFL regular season games are outrating World Series and outrating the NBA Finals, just mundane regular yeah, season but games. But I think that's been a thing for a while, and that's, that's the ultimate – deal that's why everybody always used to joke about the pro bowl and why isn't the pro bowl going away and when it was still a game and it was because the pro bowl was still getting bigger ratings than nba playoff games because it's the nfl by the way the cardinals top rated game this year was week three against dallas no surprise uh, it was the number one show in the phoenix dma market got a 17 rating and a 52 share so there you go that the was cardinals the top. won that game what do you make of this season there we go there's the segue hit zoom out the big pick on the big red four and 13 because the popular reaction that i hear across town is wow this four and 13 is miles different than last year's four and 13 and that's hard to argue i that's how that's how i'm approaching it that's how i see it is that this is a, a much now it was naturally going to be a lot different I mean, last year they were changing coaches. They were changing GMs. That's not happening this year. And had this season been Jonathan Gannon's third or fourth and they gone 4-13 and 13 with exactly the same kind of season, we probably aren't looking at it like that. But we, it isn't. It's his first, and he's trying to rebuild from scratch. And I think ultimately um, you do have to have a lot of good feelings right now. But I, I will say this. I think – I think the tenor changes as soon as we get to training camp next year, where 4-13 and 13 was fine this year. You can build on what you're trying to do, but now there's going to be expectations. Are there expectations that you absolutely make the playoffs? I don't think that, but you, you can't win five games next year, I don't think, without there being some grumbling. It wasn't just because you had a new head coach. You also had a new general manager, and you knew you were going to be without your franchise quarterback for the first you thought at least third, but what ended up being half of the season. That's part of the reason why when you have four wins, it's not like it's okay, hey, we you know did our best, it was fine. But it's understandable with all of the pieces that went into what this season was. And I think you're still able to take a lot away from this season, a lot of good, a lot of insight into what this culture, not is becoming, but what the culture is at this point, what has been set in less than a calendar year. You, there, there's no question that this year's four-win season 
feels drastically different than last year's. Yeah, it's good to have a direction. It's good to have a foundation. Like look at Carolina. I saw earlier today they have interview requests out for nine different head coaching candidates, eight different GM candidates. You know, which direction are they going? What are they doing? Do they have a franchise quarterback? Do they not? Uh, you know, I mean, just everything that you hear about some of these teams that are in flux that maybe just maybe the Arizona Cardinals can leverage at pick number four overall. Oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But as Jonathan Gannon hinted at pretty heavily in his last two meetings with the media, this season was about figuring out, okay, what are we and who are we? Who are you going forward with? And, you know, look, I'm going to go back to our semi-serious 2023 marketing mantra, and it was something like this. A 2023 dip for a 2024 rip. And if the Cardinals pick up where they left off offensively, uh, okay, hello, yeah, you know, you're definitely ready to compete. And then I'm not sure exactly what's realistic defensively, but the fact they were able to get some of the results they did when they started 17 different starting lineups on defense in 17 games. And as we talked about with Craig Grillo on the Red Sea Report and Rob Fredrickson, you know, your starting defensive line in the season finale was a lineup you had in August. Those guys didn't even make the final 53. You're on your third starting different middle linebacker. So I think that the coaching staff proved that they're capable, that they're able to take what they have and field a competitive team. And I think we saw a lot of in-game adjustments, especially that last month of the season. I mean, a month ago, let's just start at the top, Kyler Murray. A month ago, I wasn't exactly certain Kyler Murray was the quarterback of the future, near or long term. It was funny because in the last press conference when he was talking about Kyler, Gannon kind of implied that like even even Kyler had kind of laughed off Gannon saying there's going to be some growing pains because he did pretty well in that first game and they won and it, it might have it might have masked or over created over expectations of what Kyler was going to be given everything he had to learn and then there then there were the bumpy times but you could see it in these last couple games uh, under center a lot more often as that increased, more comfort with the receivers, more comfort with the offense, just everything clicking so much more. Now, James Conner running wild didn't hurt, but I do think when it comes to Kyler, there, when it was all said and done, it was exactly what Jonathan Gannon said it was going to be the whole time, which is he's going to come back. He's not. It's it's not going to be perfect when he first comes back, and everybody's got to give it time. And I think. We all struggle to give it time, in part because of what you're saying, because you were wondering, do you have a timeline of eight games of figuring out if this guy is the future? Now, we found out subsequently this past week that Jonathan Gannon felt like he was always going to be the guy. I'm a, I can only take Gannon at his word. Um, but to be fair, he has kind of talked all along that, yeah, he's even even before he was asked about it, he kind of talked like this guy is going to be my guy, and and now we all see it, and and I'm again intrigued what we're going to see, Danny, in the off season of what this offense can be and what Kyler can be. Well, that's what's exciting is what we saw from the offense, the snippets of it, and the sparks. I mean, you can really only imagine a full off season with not having to do any sort of rehab and really being able to understand the nuance of things and what the staff is looking for and working on communication and the routes that he wants to see from a rookie wide receiver and Michael Wells and all those kinds of things 
time and chemistry, it really does matter. And when you have a quarterback that's rehabbing an injury that's preventing him from being on the field throughout training camp, I mean, only, we couldn't practice, but, you know, sitting there watching, you really can't do much. And to then come in in the middle of the season when you don't have that time to really build that kind of chemistry because you're already in the season, you're having to work on the game plan. Not everybody's able to practice because you're trying to stay healthy. There's so many different moving parts. It really is impressive what Kyler Murray was able to do with the eight games he played in this year and the progressions that we saw, not just with him, but also with his offensive coordinator and Drew Petzing and communication there. It really was impressive what Kyler was able to do this season. It's like Michael Wilson told us after the game, the post-game radio interview. And the moment Michael Wilson was drafted, he was a top-five interview on this roster. Agree. And he went into great detail about the evolution and the progress of the offense, to your point, Danny. And, and he said off the top, and I wrote it down here, he said, look, it just took time. Kyler needed more time in the system. The receivers needed time to develop chemistry. It took time for the coaches to find the players' strong suits. We found the identity of the team in that we want to run the ball, then use play action and quick game off that. And then later I asked him about the big back shoulder catch he had and because I had seen Kyler pointing at him from the sideline, and he said that they broke the huddle. This is his example of the nonverbal communication. They broke the huddle. They got a look they didn't expect. They went cover one, press man across the board. The play was not advantageous. Kyler looked. And Michael Wilson, they had a nonverbal signal going there. Boom, he adjusted his route, and the back shoulder fade, and it was a first down on third and 11. That's an example of something that didn't happen in November, but it happened late in the year. That, with an offseason, ostensibly is going to happen from week one next year. So, okay, it gives you that belief that, yes, they can navigate that learning curve. Not, and, and that, to me, is what stands out about the leadership growth that we saw from Kyler this year. And trusting his receivers and it happened against the Eagles the pick six that was intended for Wilson and Wilson put in the effort he was the last guy who almost got the return right outside the end zone for that tackle and hearing from Wilson and, and Kyler both separately post game talking about how Kyler was talking to Michael Wilson on the sideline keeping his head in the game and then later on Kyler went to Wilson for the touchdown for the two-point conversion and that was something that Wilson had talked about post game the last two weeks is his appreciation for Kyler continuing to trust him and to help him grow. That was something earlier in the year. Kyler, one of his first games back, he had that that interception that was intended for tight end Trey McBride. And it took a long time in the game for Kyler to go back to McBride. And then when he did, okay, things started to click again. And then a game or two later when that same play happened, Kyler didn't wait so long. He continued to find McBride right away. I think that's a part of the game that we saw improve from Kyler and, and end up benefiting the receivers is having that trust and that communication between a quarterback and your receivers. In fact, Michael Wilson said after the Philly win, he texted Kyler and thanked him for trusting him. He shared that with the media that – and then, and I asked him about that later, and Michael said, you know, the first couple of weeks, quote, I didn't do a good enough job to earn his trust, and it was tainting our chemistry. And that's when I texted him after the Philly game. I told him, hey, I appreciate you for coming back to me after the interception, because ultimately that was my fault. And it was interesting to hear Rob Fredrickson and Kyle Vandenbosch both cite Kyler in particular and the body language after the pick six and how he didn't succumb to you know, maybe lamenting that longer than he should. And, you know, but, and it's true on, on the sideline, it was positive from the get-go, like you said, Danny. And I think that's sign of progress and improvement in the franchise quarterback. And I think maybe, just maybe, 
it's Kyler taking to heart what Jonathan Gannon has said multiple times in his TV show that he considers Kyler an extension of himself out on the field and he expects him to act accordingly. I'll be honest, and this is a selfish kind of thing, but I mean, just interacting with Kyler in press conferences feels different than it used to be. Um, he's 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 always when he's engaged, he's always giving good answers. He just there were times when he didn't really look all that engaged or want to be there. Um, and I'm sure there's still times when he doesn't love doing it, but he's he's made a significant effort and you can tell to answer every question thoughtfully. And that I, I think that says a lot of kind of where he stands mentally and, and in his maturity. And not just after wins. It's, it's yes. really the losses where you notice it. And yes. we know how competitive and how intelligent and the natural ability that Kyler is. It's no secret that he takes the losses hard. He said that in videos he's put out on his own social media that the wins are great. Like he takes the losses harder than he celebrates the wins. So to see that change in his demeanor with the media after losses this year in terms of not just how he carried himself, his answers. You know, you you weren't feeling like they were short or he just wanted to get in and out. He was, like Darren said, thoughtfully answering the questions. I think it's really telling when we're talking about Kyler's demeanor with the media or on the sideline. We didn't see him you know, yelling with his offensive coordinator or his head coach, you know, because there wasn't miscommunication in terms of getting a play call in. Not to point fingers. I do think it is very, very telling to hear from Kyler Murray post-game after the season finale how refreshing, that's the word he used, refreshing it is going into an offseason with hope and trust from a coaching staff and a front office and not only how they're going to build this team, but knowing they're going to build a team with accountability. And considering we don't really hear a lot about Kyler, and we heard him say that on top of the fact that he was talking about how in the past he has actually asked to be under center more. I mean, without saying a lot, those two things sure did say a whole lot to me. I never thought we'd see him under center 30 times in a game like we did against Seattle in the finale. He had, what, eight in the first couple that he came back, right? Like yeah. five to it, eight it per game? It wasn't much. And one of the things he said, and I can't remember if it was this past week or I think it was this last regular season, like midweek press conference. But at one point he was talking about being under center and mentioned the fact that, like, he goes, it just makes sense to me to be there. And to stress out a defense. Yeah, and and it you you start wondering, okay, again, was this a situation where he was uncomfortable with it before or does it go back to and I said this on I may have said it on podcast, so I apologize if I keep repeating myself here. I forget where I bring it up, but um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury before Kyler was even drafted said he felt like shock you could do everything in shotgun that you could do under center. So maybe Kyler never under center with Cliff Kingsbury was strictly Cliff. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, and you guys can agree or disagree, and I know you will, is that when you watched him in the last couple of games, he looked much more fluid. It looked much yeah. more natural. He's carrying out the play fakes. In fact, um, I could tell you that that was a coaching point with this staff. Okay, Kyler, if you're going to be under center, you have to commit to the play fakes because that's where you're going to get the extra step 
in a receiver, the separation, if you can get the defender to hesitate just a split second, that's all you need in the NFL for an open window to make that completion. And the last two games, man, he's got the ball on the hip. He's hiding the ball from the defense. He's rolling out the play fakes. And when everyone's keen on James Conner because he's ripping off five yards of carry, it's really effective. Can Can I ask you guys a question? Were you – and I've noticed this a couple of times, but the the really amazing – quickness and speed that he showed on his 33 yard run the first thing I thought of on that play was he just cut up the middle okay it was it was down one of the hash marks but it wasn't to the sideline he cut through defenders he never used to do that he didn't like doing that if he was running downfield it was because there was a lot of open area and he not only didn't slide but he like hit the jets and split defenders a couple of times on that run that didn't used to happen. I saw the overhead on the, the replay on that, and it was notable. A, you're right, he turned it, went straight up the seam, didn't head for the sideline, cut off uh, his O-lineman's blocks to the inside, sort of like a running back. You know, he didn't do the old Ted Ginn. What's my quickest way to the sideline? You know, that, that, that was the old Cardinals punt returner at the end of his career. So, yes, that, that was impressive, but his head was on a swivel, too, and when yeah, someone got I near, mean, you be smart. he went down. He was smart about it. So, But, I mean, a 33-yard run... And not only is it effective, but it's demoralizing for a defense, right? They're selling out on a James Conner, and man, he's killing us, and and they're in 13 personnel, and here it comes again, and, and they're wearing us down in the second half. Once again, the second half was money, right? He had 55 yards rushing in the first half, 95 in the second half. And recently on the Big Red Rage, we've had both Trey McBride and Will Hernandez answer immediately, yes, that is a thing, wearing down a defense we see it in the fourth quarter. Guys want no part of James Conner when they're tired. And so that, and you know what? It really answered one of the big questions I had going into this year, and that is do you think we'd ever see Kyler in an offense similar to the first half of 2021 when they had a top 10 running game? For whatever reason, the Cardinals stressed the running game to start 2021. They started 7 0, 10 2. He was a legit MVP candidate, along with Aaron Rodgers and one other player, I forget, probably Patrick Mahomes. Those were the betting odds at the time. And then the season went south, and it's never been the same ever since. And Kyler's never been the same until recently. The offense had never been the same until this staff and the second half of this year where it was so balanced. And to me, what's refreshing, and Kyler uses that word, makes me wonder, is it refreshing where all eyes aren't on him to do everything? Now you do have a balanced offense where if you want to run it 40 times a game, you can, and the Cardinals have. And it it helped to have a strong run game considering there were so many consecutive weeks where the passing game was not there. And that was before Kyler even came back. Now, that was a different story. I think when you had the rotating starting quarterbacks for this organization, the chemistry, the accuracy, the power, right, the strength, that was just not there the way that it is with Kyler. And then when Kyler came back, there were a couple weeks where the communication and chemistry was just not there. I don't think we will know if that was more on separation or the routes being run or if receivers weren't winning their one-on-ones. Whatever it might have been, there was a stretch where you were not getting production from your receivers. That changed the last two weeks of the season, which is good going into the offseason. But the fact that you were able to have a strong run game and that these defenses probably knew what was coming and still the Cardinals and what, three or four times surpassed 200 rushing yards in a game? That's impressive. And you're right, Paul. It's not just, I mean, James Conner, absolutely. He reached the 1,000-yard mark, that milestone for the first time in his career, and he missed 
four and a half really games yeah. with an injury. It's so impressive, but that also goes to the blocking by your offensive line, tight ends, and your receivers. What I love about the the running game and the crossing two hundred the two hundred yards four times in the year, three of the last four games. What I love about that, which I mean, we haven't seen that a whole lot in all the years we've covered this team, nope. Paul. I go back to the, the the Super Bowl team that was last in the league in rushing, couldn't even get like 80 yards a game or whatever it was. But um, one of the things that intrigues me about those big rushing days is it's not because your quarterback's running for 80 and 90 and 100 yards a game, which a lot of times in today's NFL, if a team runs for that many yards, that's what it is is because they have a running quarterback getting all these yards on broken pass plays. I mean, obviously, Kyler's adding to it. I don't know what he had other than the 33-yard run the other day. Although, at one point, I think I looked, and he had six carries for 33 yards. So, obviously, <laughs> there were some other things around the line of scrimmage. Um, but, ultimately, it's because the running game is working with running backs yeah. and or Rondale Moore, you know? That's why Baltimore, in my opinion, is the number one seed this year, and Lamar's going to win the MVP because he's not the running game. Yeah, He's that extra threat, you know, when needed. No, James Conner is the Cardinals' running game right now, and um, there's no question. James the team, Conner's a lot of things for the Cardinals yeah. right now. No, you're right. I mean, just I mean, the one had a touchdown catch he had in Philly. His ability to catch a ball in the flat on a checkdown and make guys miss and get nearly 30 yards. The 29-yard touchdown run that he left dudes in the dust. Which, by the way, to me, that's a real sign of coaching acumen as well. My understanding is that the 29-yard touchdown run, they had run that play six or seven times. They kept coming back to that play because it was working. So you know what? Repeat it until they stop it. And that's exactly what they did. To me, that's good coaching. And the last few games, they, they, it took them a little while maybe to get the ground game untracked and okay, but they were sort of probing the defense, what's going to work? You know, Is this scheme going to work? Is that play going to work? But then once they find something – and they find that stress point in the defense, okay, here we go. It just, you know, I think the play calling got better over the course of the season is once again, like Michael Wilson said, the coaches started to learn the strong suits and skill sets of the players. Um, but, yeah, the fact that locker room wanted 1,000 yards for, for James Conner, that was palpable and a driving force in that game. He, you, you need to find a balance. You, you want to find a player that can be your emotional bellwether, who is also good. It reminds me a little bit of leadership in a lot of ways. Like, you you can be a great leader. You could be built as a human as a great leader. But on a sports team, if, if you're like the last guy in the roster, you can only lead so much. And I feel like the same way goes with the emotion of a team. You can be an emotional player and, and you can help in certain ways, but – if you're not one of the main dudes, it's only going to have so much of an effect. And I, I, I used to think this way about Fitz. Fitz would get very emotional at certain times in the games in addition to making huge plays, and I think it just fed everybody. And that's where James Conner is right now. That's, that's what you want. He's like the perfect blend of having that kind of emotion that can trickle to other players, and then he makes so many plays that there's reasons for them to want to feed off that emotion. I just everything everything has clicked with him. That that has been such a tremendous signing uh, over the last couple of years. And if he's a badass that the other team fears, well, that's even better. So you know, you just feel that much more confident going into a game when you have a guy like James Conner breaking the huddle with you. Uh, you're not going to have DJ Humphreys, we figure, for the start of next season. 
So what do you guys make of that? What sort of trickle-down effect does the loss of your franchise left tackle, DJ Humphreys, have, you think, on the offensive line and how this team goes about addressing needs in the offseason? It's very interesting, Paul, because this is the unfortunate business side of things. And I say unfortunate for a player and a person like DJ Humphreys, who is arguably the best personality in that locker room and one of the top leaders. There's a reason Gannon, since the moment he got here, Humphreys was one of the players he listed by name as somebody he was going to go and rely on when it comes to the messaging and changing the culture and getting a feel for things. I think regardless, had Humphreys not even had this season-ending injury and an injury that you're right, there's concern about how much time he's going to miss in 2024. I think even if Humphreys had not gotten hurt, it would have been a discussion at some point in the offseason, the possibility of moving rookie right tackle Paris Johnson Jr. over to the left side, his natural side. We still don't really know yet, and, and maybe things have changed after how well Johnson played didn't miss a single snap this year. Maybe the intention of drafting Johnson and having him play on the right side because you had Humphrey still under contract, and maybe the plan was to move him to the left at some point. Maybe he played so well, you want to keep him on the right side, especially because nowadays, while the blindside protection is so important, especially with a quarterback like Kyler Murray and his skill set and using his legs, you need a strong right tackle still. The Cardinals have three options. They can do that. They can move Johnson from the right to the left. And when we talked to him uh, Monday when players were cleaning out their lockers and I asked him, do you have a desire to move sides? Is that something you're going to talk to the coaching staff with? Johnson said, I'm going to do what I need to do wherever my number is called, but I will be training this offseason for both sides in case that's where my number ends up getting called. So that's one option as you move Johnson over from the right to the left. You could keep Johnson on the right side if that's where you think he will be the best fit and you can stick with a veteran like Kelvin Beecham who stepped up and filled that role until Humphreys comes back or you can look elsewhere in free agency and get a left tackle there I'm not sure the details of the contract but we know that Humphreys is still under contract however the guaranteed money is not there and now that he's hurt how does that kind of change things I just think it's interesting of this all all the the options you have all stem from where do you see Paris Johnson Jr.'s future here as a tackle and if at some point you're going to want to move him to the left why would you not do that when you have this opportunity and it's so early on in his career? Hey, DJ Humphreys did that, started at right and then moved to left later in his career. And honestly, I don't see the urgency necessarily either way in today's NFL for Paris Johnson to absolutely be a left tackle because he was the sixth pick overall because so many teams are putting their premier pass rusher coming off the offense's right tackle. He saw it all year long. You got TJ Watt. He had Aaron Donald come over him a number of times by his own choice. The Rams would break the huddle, and Aaron Donald would go, I'm going to test the rookie. Here it comes. And I mean, you got a number of guys who got Nick Bosa would come to his side a lot. So it's not, you know, Tristan Wirfs was the 12th pick overall recently, and he's been a right tackle. Now they tried him at left tackle this year. Didn't go that well, actually, for Tampa. He actually had better seasons at right tackle, if you believe what you read. So I don't know. Maybe there's the Notre Dame tackle. Maybe there's the Penn State tackle. That's somewhere you get in the top 10. And now you have your bookend franchise tackles going forward. We know the value that this staff, these decision makers, put in the line of scrimmage. And to your point, Danny, even before the injury, heading into this offseason, with DJ Humphrey's lack of guaranteed money, 
How do we know that they weren't thinking uh, post-DJ plan anyway? We have no idea at this point, but be ready for any sort of scenario to develop on that offensive line. And, and I, do, I do think when it comes to all this, I think it's all fluid. I mean, I, I think by the time we get to free agency, Humphreys will probably have had surgery and you'll have a better understanding of what kind of timeline he's probably going to be under. Um, we don't know what will happen when they go through free agency of how that could impact the draft. You, you, these are all questions for once when Gannon says we're going to do what's best for the team when he, this, the potential of Paris switching was brought up. He said we're going to do what's best for the team and you're thinking that's probably fair because he probably doesn't know exactly what's going to happen because you don't know who you're going to be who you're going to have. And, and it's fair when Danny asked Paris, are you thinking about moving over to the left side? When he says, well, I'm going to train for both because I don't know, well, you know, whatever they want, but I don't know what's going to happen because I don't think at this point they do. Um, but they, they will have options. They, they, they certainly will have options. And there, there's a lot of realistic options. That's the other thing I think is important to say is it's not as horrible as this is for DJ Humphreys they have a lot of time to plan for it. There's no excuses going into next year, whatever they decide to do on the offensive line, that they couldn't have been prepared for this. And it is amazing that Paris Johnson Jr. played every single snap this season. He was the only Arizona Cardinals player to play 100% of the game snaps. So, and, and I'd asked Paris earlier in the season, I forget what it was, DJ came out for a little bit and Kelvin Beecham went in for some spot duty, and I asked – Paris, how big a deal is it at this point if you had to go to left tackle? He said, one practice. Give me one practice to get my footwork down again. I'll go to left tackle. Whatever it takes. Whatever we need. (laughs) I believe that. So you give him an entire offseason, and there's no doubt he has the confidence because he did that at Ohio State, started on the right side, ended up at left tackle. And and, and let's let's make that clear, too. It's like this – it's not like Paris Johnson went to Ohio State, started three years at left tackle, and then came here to play right side. He – he was a he he had his first season. He wasn't even playing regularly. He was playing right guard, I believe, his second year, yep. and then he played left tackle before yep. he came out. So it's mm-hmm. it's not like you know it's not like he was so locked in. Like when Kelvin Beecham showed up here as a free agent, he had played left tackle his whole NFL career, and then they were asking him to play on the right side. And I to me that actually is a little bit more difficult than maybe what they're asking Paris to do, just because of all the years that Beecham had under his belt. I, I mean, honestly. The much bigger concern, if I'm Monty Asenford, is the defensive front this offseason. I think that's very fair. Yeah. He had one sack in the final six games. That one sack was Justin Fields stepping out of bounds before the line of scrimmage, and they credited Dennis Gardak with it. And it's interesting. I couldn't help but notice. You guys tell me if this is a legit stat or not. The bottom seven teams in sacks this season also happen to directly correlate to the top of the draft order. The bottom seven teams in sacks. Carolina was worst. Chicago was 31st. Cardinals 30th. Giants 29th. New Orleans. And then Washington. There's your bottom seven. And that almost directly correlates to the top of the draft order. So once again, quarterback one. Get to the quarterback two. And then I'll throw protect that quarterback three. It's almost like you know what you're talking about, Paul. No, I just couldn't help but notice some of that. And you look at, okay, because when you're watching that NCAA championship game and you see number 78 for Michigan, oh my goodness, was that guy a wrecking ball on the D-line? Or one of those two All-American D-tackles for Texas in the semifinals 
Like, how can you not watch those games and wonder what Monty Ford is thinking? How can you not look at what Montez Sweat did for that Chicago defense once they got that premier pass rusher and it trickled down through the rest of that Bears defense? How can you not notice that the Carolina Panthers screwed up and it looks like Brian Burns is going to hit the free agent market as an unrestricted free agent? And if you can give him big money and bring him in without having to give up any draft picks like the Bears had to do for Montez Sweat, like the Niners had to do for Chase Young and pay him, if you just have to pay him without giving – I mean, that makes me wonder if they're tar- – that's the one big fish they're targeting in free agency. Look, I, I, I absolutely think that is one of the positions where free agency probably makes the most sense rather than just relying on a high draft pick just because – you have such a great need for a pass rush because you did not have it this year. We saw sparks throughout the first half of the season. You don't have the depth and you don't have the star power. You just don't. I think you probably have enough players where if you have a situation where, like when you had Chandler Jones, you had Marcus Golden opposite, you were able to get a lot out of Golden. When you didn't have Jones opposite, Golden didn't have that here to be that star pass rusher. I think if the Cardinals are able to get a big name like that, you have some pieces on the other side that can cause some disruption. I just think that from what you need from an immediate standpoint, a a veteran proven player makes sense, if it makes sense financially. And I think with the amount of draft capital the Cardinals have, I still think that it is a viable option to do a trade for draft picks, maybe an extra player. And in turn, the Cardinals don't just get a draft pick, they get a player. And I think a pass rusher really does make a lot of sense there. When it comes to the trenches and the defensive line and and building that, that's not confusing, but I am interested in the evaluation of what the Cardinals already have because maybe they think that some of the players on this roster are enough. They were just never healthy. LJ Collier, Carlos Watkins, Lucky Fotu didn't have an entirely healthy year. Jonathan Ledbetter, now he's probably going to miss significant a time to start 2024 season because he also tore his ACL late in the year but I'm curious Darren of when it comes to building in the trenches on the D-line do the Cardinals feel like they have a good place to start especially when you saw what Dante Stills did or maybe keeping someone like a Roy Lopez moving forward I mean I I think for me with the defensive line it comes down to kind of like what you guys were just talking about with the edge with B.J. Ojolari or you know, even Dennis Gardeck or, or whatever situation was, if you can get a 1A, then maybe the rest of the guys slot in much better behind that and, and you don't have to make a bunch of quantity upgrades because you've made the quality upgrade. That's a good you, point. If you can get a some kind of wrecker on the defensive line and then you can first of all let's also remember and the 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 Burns thing is intriguing but for most of the season and I don't know if this was strictly because of who they had I think this is some of philosophy too don't forget that these guys love rotating they love rotating the defensive line and they love rotating the edge guys and if you get in a let's say you get a Brian Burns in and you pay him a lot of money. Brian Burns better not be rotating in a whole bunch. And, you know, it, it's funny because Zayvon Collins was had the most snaps in almost every game at outside linebacker for the Cardinals this year, and he didn't have more than 65% of the snaps in any game until the last one. So, again, how much of that is 
the talent you have and how much of that is, that's our philosophy. And we, we don't want to go too overboard on paying one guy because we're not going to play him enough to justify that. So I, I'll be curious of that. But going back to you guys' original point, I wouldn't mind a trade for an edge guy or a Brian Burns or, or something like that on the free agent market. But I do think they also need a defensive lineman and, and kind of see. I, I think those other pieces on the defensive line did work. And, and if they're healthy, they could help. But again, you got to stay healthy too. I mean, when it comes to the rotation at pass rush specifically, I wonder though if you are able to get a player. Maybe this is more an interior D line player of like what Paul was mentioning with Aaron Donald, who's able to go or TJ Watt, right? You're able to go wherever you want on both sides. Maybe that's what you're getting. Maybe the rotation changes a little bit for one player, Maybe. and you're able to rotate the other players. But that, that's how your rotation changes. So they're not missing a lot of snaps, but that does give you the flexibility yeah. to move players around. Well, you, and you and you got to be careful because when we're throwing names out there, whether it's – Brian Burns is a great pass rusher, and you're you're talking about Aaron Donald and TJ Watt. We're, we're talking about like top Generational. 10, 15 <laughs> players, and the odds of you getting that guy are probably slim. Yep. So. Look, there's going to be a lot of demand if you're an elite pass rusher. There, there's no question about it. Here's the thing, and one of the reasons I wonder about that is because there isn't a Miles Garrett in this draft. If quarterbacks yeah, are going true. one, two, one, two, three, and you're still at four, there's not that guy. Like, for example, if there was that guy or if there was a Sauce Gardner, Cardinals would stay at four and take one of those two positions, one of those two guys. But Based on what we know about this draft so far, there doesn't appear to be that sort of generational talent. I think there's a big reason. I, I think there's reasons other than the need of at wide receiver for the Cardinals that everybody keeps talking about the Cardinals drafting Marvin Harrison. And I think a big part of it is is when you talk about the guys that are considered at the top of the draft, you're talking about quarterbacks, you're talking potentially about those two offensive tackles, and you're talking about Marvin Harrison. I have not heard any talk of any defensive players being like a top five kind of that kind of generational yeah. player. Now that could change as we get closer to the draft, but at this point, I have not, I have not seen that. You guys think that uh, fourth pick overall is for sale as we launch into the Heck off season? Yeah. You think it's for sale? You know what the car auctions coming, Danny? Is it going to be sold, sold, sold? They're going to put it up there on the auction block and they're going to sell it off to oh I don't know. A Denver Broncos team that's picking 12th overall but is in dire need of a quarterback. They're not going with Jared Stidham next year. So with the Denver Broncos, for example, well, call Monty Osivor and say, what do you want for number four? Did the Denver Broncos have any picks left after trading for Russell Wilson? By the way, we named George Payton, the Broncos GM, the uh, now two-time MVP of the Seattle Seahawks for both 2022 <laughs> and 23. That was such a lopsided trade in favor of Seattle. I, I am going to say I don't – there's a part of me – I'm not so sure. It worked out last year because they moved back up. I don't know if I love going from 4 to 12. Agreed. What if it's um, – yeah, we'll take the 12th pick, but um, you know what? You're going to throw in Patrick Sertan, your Pro Bowl corner. Okay, now that – yeah. That's different. Yep. My eyebrows are yep. raised. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yes. Something right, like and look, that. The, the difference, at least for me, of agreeing with Darren of you had an okay time last year, right, of, of dropping back, and yeah, yeah. they ended up obviously jumping back up to six. The reason I would have a problem, I can't say I would have a problem, it's not my decision, I would not love the idea of ju- moving from four to 12 last year this organization knew that it was going to be a transition year. Everybody knew that from the jump, right, with 
the cap space, with the players you were letting go, the culture you were trying to build. Again, your franchise quarterback was going to miss half the season. You knew all of that. That's why you got the draft capital you did, so that starting this year in the 2024 draft, you're not necessarily worried about future draft capital. You're trying to start that re- that trans- second phase of the transition years yeah. right now. That's so fair. I don't want to jump from 4 to 12 and get all these extra draft picks for the future, right? Or those players that would be a little bit lower. I'm at the point where I would like to start seeing those generational talents, those players that are going to be plug and play and ready to go and make a difference and be here for the long term. I'm ready to see those players start getting drafted now. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that argument. On the other hand, this isn't a team that's ready to win big right now. There's not just a couple of needs, there, right? The, you need two hands to really count all the needs. So will that necessitate more picks? No, you're not wrong, but they've already got 11 picks, Paul. Like, how many picks are we talking about? Because, again— When is enough enough, Paul? Well, because the other thing is— This is America. It's never enough. Because because one of the things we're talking about capitalism. If you're talking about getting— Greed is good. —high picks, I mean, ultimately, some of them aren't going to be in this draft, which goes back to Danny. Are are we pushing this now back into 25? Like, uh, at one point, because uh, as I said earlier— the expect I, I you're not wrong, but the expectations next year are not going to be hey we're gonna we're gonna bump along with a six win season and we got more draft picks coming next year. That's no one's no one's sitting around for that. Now, if there are certain positions where like the scouting departments are working years in advance, so if there are certain positions or certain players, and not that you're waiting out for certain players, but if it makes sense to do some trades and you obviously want to get more capital in the future, like. I'm okay with that. I'm not saying I don't want to start making moves and have some extra draft picks in the next year or two because I do think this is a still probably another two or three years before you are realistically, hopefully consistently, right, making a push for a deep run in the playoffs. But when you've got 11 draft picks, at some point you got to start using that. Okay, okay, so here's my question. You, you brought up uh, Denver at 12. Oh gosh, we're already at the point of the off season where Paul says something and then Darren stews on it and then he comes back no. with his What what about <laughs> It's never too early to talk draft scenarios. What about Atlanta at 8? Well, they, they need a quarterback. Yeah, they're probably head coach. They're probably going to get Russell Wilson. <laughs> just throwing that out there. No idea. Look, I'll Is just Tom say Brady this. Coming back, Paul? Let me just say Is that this. a hot take this year. My counter argument to everything he would if he hadn't seen his own demise, most especially in the Christmas overtime win against the Cardinals in 2022. Um, my response to what you guys just said about how maybe you need some more immediate answers and more generational talent right now and how far back are you going to push this, here's one of my big takeaways from last month of this season. If you have that guy at quarterback and he's playing like a Pro Bowl quarterback like Kyler Murray was at times, second half of Philadelphia, at times against Seattle, man, that mass a lot of deficiencies. You can be really young, you can be talent poor, but if you have that quarterback and you have that run game to keep a defense honest, look out. And as evidence of that, may I present the LA Rams 2023, the second youngest roster in the NFL. But they got Matthew Stafford playing Pro Bowl quarterback again. Kyron Williams, who's a Pro Bowl running back. They fixed the offensive line. It's not the best in the league, but it's serviceable. They got those two young guards that they plugged and played. They figured out the left tackle after the departure of Andrew Whitworth. And look at the stinking L.A. Rams. They started 3-6. and six. They won 7 out of 8. 
and they're my uh, Paulie Parlay hot pick to go into Detroit and knock off the Lions in the first round of the playoffs. But if you're saying you might only need a few key pieces, right, to really get the most out of Kyler's future here, wouldn't that be these premier draft picks? You're saying you'd rather attack it in free agency? What I'm saying is if you're at four and there isn't a player at the position you covet worthy of four, like if you need a quarterback right. and you're thinking, okay, you know what, I'll go Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, whatever. But if you're in dire need of a pass rusher, that guy isn't there at four. You really need that franchise corner. That guy isn't there at four. Then I'm all in favor of trading down five to ten spots. I'm not against trading down. I would think if you're trading back 10 spots and you're willing to go all the way to 14, you'd have to get a pretty massive haul. That's fine with me. Denver, pay through the nose again or whoever it is. I'm just throwing that out there. By the way, um, the uh, Broncos, I just want you guys to appreciate where the Cardinals are right now. You realize the Broncos owe Russell Wilson $39 million next year. And in terms of uh, dead money cap charges, it checks in at $89 million over the next two years. Jeez. Think about what if What if the Cardinals did trade down from 4 to, ten, four, four to 14, 10 spots, Paul, but they maybe only get an additional pick and a, and a premier pass rusher? Well, it depends. Yeah, the pass rusher, it depends. That's a long way to go for just one pick and one pass rusher, especially if they think they're getting their franchise quarterback, then you should be able to leverage more, more than that out of Denver. No no question. So, Where's Denver right now? They're 12. They're 12. 14 is New Orleans. So. Well, New Orleans might also be looking for a new coach or a new quarterback. Who knows what's going to happen there after that season finale, victory formation touchdown. I mean, let me just remind you, the Rams have not made a first-round pick since 2016. That's wild. It's before Sean McVay showed up. So there are different ways to go about it. Um, and speaking of the Rams, how about the NFC West? You have a Niners team that isn't going away. I just mentioned the Rams with the second youngest roster in the league. Seattle, very average. You know, there they are. Just By the way, if they would have clinched the playoffs based on that missed field goal at the very end, I would not be here right now. I, w- I would need a mental health week if we would have witnessed the stinking Seahawks if celebrating that, a playoff clinching win based on a missed field, two missed field goals in the fourth quarter. If that would have happened, they probably would have done something like smoke cigars in the locker room. Which I smelled, by the way. I walked in for the post-game radio interviews. I'm like, what? What is that? Something's like, burning. I, I'm like, I what? did see online. It's not worth it. Are you going to try and defend them? Supposedly, the cigars were yes. a couple weeks old to celebrate the birth of one of the player's sons, and yes. he was waiting. Julian Love, newborn. everybody was there. Yeah. So yes. smoke on the plane. That's not allowed. It's not allowed to be done in State Farm Stadium either. That didn't stop them. Oh, I didn't know that. Not that I didn't know that as if I've no. done that, but like I didn't know that you can't smoke a cigar. Like to celebrate in the locker room? No. You can't smoke in, inside here. It's against the law. Here's the thing. <laughs> okay. They did it right what when a they. party pooper you are, Darren. Right when they let the media. Cut that, Cody. Right when they. 2024. Let the media in. They, they fired up the cigars. So, I mean, they have only themselves to blame. The if media. I, if it I was s- open media. I think I saw somewhere where. Uh, Bobby Wagner basically said, yeah, they probably shouldn't have done that. So yeah. You're, yeah. so if the Cardinals end up making the Super Bowl or something like that, you won't be celebrating with a cigar in the locker room? No, and neither will you. We'll probably get you fired You don't get to tell me that. what I can and can't do. Probably get fired do. for that one. Okay, then I probably won't. 
Okay, lay it on me. Just lay it on me. What pick number is the Texans right now? The fact uh, that the Texans 21. made the 21. Okay. 21. I do think if they lose, there's a chance it could uh, get a little bit higher. Who are they going to be playing? They play the Browns at home. So the Browns have a better record, but because the Texans Jeff Driscoll's are, Cleveland Browns? Close, yes. Well, it is Jeff Driscoll's Cleveland Browns, but Jeff, Jeff it'll be the corpse of Joe Flacco who will be playing. <laughs> Hey, he's had some uh, dynamic fourth quarters, Joe Flacco. Zombie football, it's what it's all about, yeah. baby. So, uh, yeah. I think I think they could, if they lost, it's possible that they could um, end up, that pick could be 19 maybe. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, Indianapolis, what are you doing on fourth down, throwing it into the flat of your third string running back who has six catches all year when Jonathan Taylor's out there? See, what I don't have. You do you have a pro- You really have a problem with that? Yes. I mean, the guy, the moment was too big for that guy. It was apparent. It was I mean, a great well, first, pass. it was I mean, not a had, great pass. He had, no, it wasn't. One. But he had fumble fingers. You could tell the moment was too big for him. He was you gripping. The boxers Paul, were bunging. Stop. I have a problem saying the moment was too big for him because post game, he said. He was going to call his mom because she was probably the only person who still loved him at that point. So you go easy on that man. Oh man. Okay. I tell you what. Uh, that's good. You know. So if it would, you know what? If that's your mentality, go run scout team. So if if you sent Zach Moss out there and he drops it, then what do you say? Zach Moss. Yeah, Zach Moss. Who's the number two running back? You said third, the third string running back. Or if it's Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I, I don't know if Zach Moss is ready for the moment. All I know is the third stringer was not. That's was all it, I'm saying. Was it not the moment not too big for Gardner Minshew? Then? Uh, that's what I think. I mean, that throw was yeah, the not throw good. was not great. No, it wasn't. But the moment they came out there in fourth and two and they're in the gun, that was the first mistake. That's because, not the running back's fault. Because now the defense, you know, it eliminates half the options, basically. I mean, at least show show a, here, a formation that says here comes Jonathan Taylor downhill. If they execute the play, it works. It's the right call. Uh, they just didn't yeah, execute it. Yeah, yeah if, if he would have caught that, he would have been way beyond are, the Are sticks. you sitting here saying that the Cardinals should have gone for a Hail Mary because Matt Prater missed a 51-yard field goal in the last play? Because that's kind of where you're going with this. Right, yeah. It didn't work, yeah. so you, sh- you ran the wrong play. No, what I'm saying is you didn't see the Cardinals running Blake Gillikin out there to try that field goal, okay? They, they put out their record-setting field goal kicker, okay? Blake you know? Gillikin averaged 50 yards a punt this year. It's different if Jonathan Taylor drops that in the flat versus whatever his name was, the third-string running back, so... Right. You're a hater, Paul. Any, any Anything else you want to, since we didn't really do Festivus during the holiday season and airing of grievances, anything else now that the season is over? Well, we don't We don't need to get, I mean, we've got a whole off season of podcasts we got to fill. It's not like we're done for five months. We're right back here next week. This is where the fun begins. Come up begins. with crap to say. Right, okay. All right. All right. You guys, uh, you good with the cold, by the way, Danny? You, you good with that? You it all right? It was chilly this morning. Let's see here. Look, um, I'm okay, right? Because yeah. if it's cold for a couple weeks, that's a lot. Oh, gosh. Do you need, do you need a here? hat? Do you know, I, I, got a, I got a nice hat here you Why can Why do you wear. put it on so I can see how you know, it looks on before I make go. a decision? Right, I got a question, the, Paul. The with you there. living up there in the, in the climbs of Fountain Hills, <laughs> did you have to like, was it like 10 degrees chillier there? There, uh, there was some scraping, scraping of the ice, no doubt about it. In fact, flaps down at one point. It was so cold this morning. We went flaps down. Down, cover up the uh, headphones. Here. I can't take that from you. It's a really nice offer, but it looks too good on you. Yeah, well, you, why it's, is it's the headphones? Why, why is why is the logo? It does cover the headphones. Is that a sticker or a logo that's 
well, really, really crooked. I had to call an audible at the last minute because there was a different logo on this headwear. <laughs> so um, I had to improvise. So you put it on that diagonal? It's, uh, it was in the moments right before. It was, it was a late game adjustment, uh, last minute roster move. And so we had to make a bit of a... Thank God we're on TV now. Improv here at the very end. So uh, you know what? I mean, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers think they're making for good TV. You know, cram this vertical, okay? <laughs> That'll do it for Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.